Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli, And we have gathered together for some of our most uh, exhilarating shows of every single offseason. We have done our annual coach rankings at CBS Sports. The three of us are among a panel that were asked to rank every coach from the Power 5, 1 through 65. They will be compiled. Then they will be uh, put together into a consensus rankings on CBSSports.com. Uh, more on that in a little bit. Plus, we've got some headlines, including um, what's next for Tua Tagovailoa's younger brother, Talia, and some shakeups among the Power 5 athletic director scene. But uh, just to get things started here, are, are you guys fired up for coach ranking weeks? Are you full-throated with your support and your um, and, and your claims of where there was improper counting? Are, are we ready to rage over the debates? Uh, no, because I'm going to get yelled at for two weeks because of it, which is how it goes every year since I'm the one who writes the post and nobody reads the part of the post where I mentioned, you know, there are like six or seven different people voting and that it's a compilation of their votes like, a, you know, like an AP poll. All they see is my byline in the rankings, and they decide that I'm the one that hates their coach or I'm the one who likes their rival's coach way too much. That guy sucks. He hasn't done anything compared to our coach. I love Coach Ranking Week. I think Coach Ranking Week is – it's it's like, especially right now when we're in this total wasteland of, of, of content, and we can, we can kind of – have some fun, dig in a little bit, uh, and discuss this. There was, I was trying to, as, as, as you were talking, I was trying to pull up, there was like a radio uh, guy in Louisville that was, cause I did a, a ranking the top 25 coaches in college football for 24 seven a week or two ago. And, uh, he called me and, and like, he was like calling me out on Twitter. You know, this is, this, these rankings are ridiculous or whatever. And but he asked me on his radio show and I got on and it was a fun conversation. And it was like, you know, when you actually because I think it's a the whole coach ranking stuff is all about it's all about it's all about it's all subjective. It's all opinion. Right. It's all like it's your ranking. And there's no we're, this is not a we're not working off the same metric. Like everyone's got their own opinion, like and and we might even have different ideas of what it means to be uh, you know, ranked high versus low. Um, and so I like, I like just sort of defending my opinion on these and tell them why I think like, yes, maybe the numbers don't explain it. Maybe the record doesn't explain it, but here's why I suspect this guy should be above that guy. I, I think coach rankings are really fun to discuss. I, I want to be clear for my methodology for determining my rankings. Mine are based on nothing but what the coach gives me. So if you don't like where you are on my on my ranking this year, coach, if you're listening, whoever you are, you want to boost your ranking, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, coach. It is the exact opposite of a mathematical formula because there are coaches with national championships on their resume. 
Like, how do you weigh resume of what you've done versus what you are doing right now? You know, and we are talking about uh, a power five ranking. Does that mean that you need to have proven it at some level at the power five level? Does, do you get to, does, does Chris Kleiman get to bring all of his uh, FCS, North Dakota State reputation with him? Does a Les Miles or a Mac Brown, do they get to ride on, you know, what they were doing at the time that they were winning national championships? It's a, it's a very complicated, um, like splitting hairs. It gets a little bit complicated, but I find that the, the easiest way to do it is to put yourself, at least for my methodology is to put yourself in the shoes of an athletic director. And ultimately it is like a 65 coach wish list for me, I think. Yeah, that's exactly the way I do it. I'm the athletic director. I'm making the hire. I'm going to hire the coach at 11 over the coach at 12. I'm going to hire the coach at 47 over the coach at 50. And you know what? It's my university. It's my program. (laughs) I can do whatever the hell I want. I really respect uh, certain aspects of a coaching resume or a coaching style. And so sorry if I've got Bronco Mendenhall too far way ahead of where he's probably going to end up. But you know what? That's what Chip Patterson University CPU is all about. Um, all right, let's let's hit a couple of headlines before we jump in. Again, this show, we will be going through the first set, which is going to be 65 through 26. Then the following day, we will jump back in and uh, knock out 1 through 25 with some heated debates, splitting those hairs for the coaches at the very, very top. Uh, but we had some news over the weekend as UCLA is hiring or expected to hire Boston College Athletic Director Martin Germond as its new AD. This UCLA was uh, an AD search that had been bubbling in the background. Those are who have been following um Following the process over the last couple of weeks, obviously it's happening in the background of uh, all of college sports trying to figure out what is going to happen in the 2020-2021 school year. The the expected hire of Martin Charmond brings him over. He was identified as one of the, the rising stars in the sports community, the college athletics community, you know, he gets those, he gets the 40 under 40 designation, uh, recently made the hire of Jeff Halfley, obviously from Ohio state to Boston college to take over the football program. He arrives at UCLA at an interesting time as uh, UCLA has, you know, a football program that under Chip Kelly has not yet met expectations, a basketball program that was, uh, that recently made a big splash hire with Mick Cronin, wild first year for Bruins basketball, but that's for another podcast. Listen to uh, Gary Parish and Matt Norlander for that. But what do we think of the hire as uh, as the news broke? Well, he's inheriting a program that, or a athletic department that is like kind of um, in bad shape financially. Uh, as we've discussed, they're suddenly because of huge hires huge investments in basketball and football and dwindling attendance and dwindling uh, booster support. They like all of a sudden they're working at a huge deficit in the UCLA athletic department. And then who the hell knows like what's what, what you lump onto the back of that with the coronavirus stuff. So it's a challenge that uh, he will be undertaking. Uh, supposedly, he was a superstar fundraiser at Boston College, so maybe that's the reason that they landed him. 
But I think more importantly, we've, we've sort of workshopped this a little bit and there's, there's some, uh, we could kind of tell you the, the future landscape of college football based on uh, the way this is, <laughs> the way this is going to land. <laughs> um, I don't know if any of you guys want to take it, but this, this is, yeah, have at it, man. Uh, where, where's, where's Jermond from? Ohio State. And when he went to Boston College, who did he hire as his as his new coach? Ohio State defensive coordinator. And now he's at UCLA. And who's he going to hire to replace Chip Kelly? I think this could be Meyer. Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer. <laughs> we're gonna we're in a, we're in a, we're looking at a scenario in which USC possibly passed up on a chance to hire Urban Meyer this past offseason because of its own dysfunction in in its athletic department decided to go with Clay Helt for another year, and now. I think all three of us agree it is definitely going to happen next winter. Definitely. Chip Kelly will be fired. UCLA will hire Urban Meyer while USC will still have Clay Helton and Southern California will burn. And good news for you Ohio State fans. I know it's going to be hard to see Urban Meyer go across the country to take the head coaching job at UCLA, but never fear. There's a splash hire for you in this too. Don't forget who is Ryan Day's coaching mentor None other than Chip, Chip Kelly. Kelly. <laughs> so you get yourself a new offensive coordinator out of this. I'm <laughs> I all right, so step one, if UCLA plays football this fall and if you know the Pac twelve if if UCLA plays plays football this fall, you can go review our, our Pac twelve South Outlook uh but we believe that it ain't a bright future for UCLA immediately. At least I don't expect them to be in the top half of their own division. And if you're not in the top half of your own division in the Pac-12 South, then you're definitely in the bottom half of the Pac-12. And if Chip Kelly's back in the bottom half of the Pac-12, are we pretty sure that that would be the end of the Chip Kelly experiment in Westwood? Well, I think we would assume that... There, there's a there's a high likelihood that the Chip Kelly experiment could be ending, but Chip, I think that they would run into some some legal difficulties in in making that move on Chip Kelly. Uh, you 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 found a little bit of uh of an issue contractually with making that that uh, that firing. Oh no, yeah, I just I cannot wait uh, because <laughs> all all coaching uh, termination ends with lawsuits over money or at least if they aren't straight up lawsuits they are legal negotiations and because ucla is a public school that means that you know it's probably going to be until like 2022 when we really get our chuckles in but i'm just really excited to see chip kelly's attorneys making the strong case that chip kelly should not be removed for performance because the performance of the UCLA Bruins football team was dependent on them having all of their resources. And if the players weren't allowed to get their multi-million dollar nutrition shakes, he can't be held liable. I mean, what's the guy supposed to do? He's got he his whole his whole plan for success at UCLA was based on that training table. That's right. <laughs> and there's no no one's at the training table all spring. <laughs> I mean, uh, another side of this too, though, is uh, 
Like if you're Jeff Halfley and you just got hired at BC by Jarman and then he leaves for UCLA, you're kind of like, but, 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 but I thought we were going to be friends. No so, doubt. Plus, so now you're in an interesting situation. Yeah, and you're a young up-and-comer taking your first head coaching job, going to a, I, I don't know, I want to say like a slow-moving program that's got a lot of old Not so school. much in the spotlight. Yeah, yeah, and it's and you need the young up and coming AD to to be by your side every time you go to the the uh, administration with an ask for more funding, more facilities, more whatever. Uh, man, if you don't have that, that's uh, that's that's gonna make it a little bit tougher to win at BC. Now we are not a athletic director ranking pod. This is only a coach ranking pod. But put yourself in German's shoes. It's a no brainer move, right? I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess though he is, I mean, like he, like I said, he isn't exactly inheriting uh, a beauty of a situation, but it's a, it would be a fun challenge. I would imagine. Oh, he gets to be the, uh, the hero. That's right. You know, great opportunity there. Uh, yeah. More, more headlines from the weekend news breaks Friday night that Talia Tugavailoa has committed to Maryland. Now, Talia has had limited action at Alabama. I don't know if he officially took a red shirt, though he does. Ha- uh, this Maryland announced that he does have three years of eligibility remaining um, as he shows up in College Park to play for Mike Loxley, who uh, anybody who saw the news probably realized is right where that connection is. Uh, Mike Loxley was the offensive coordinator at Alabama for Tua's f- freshman and sophomore season, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As Talia was being recruited, the Tukavailoa family, remember, relocated from Hawaii to Tuscaloosa. But with Tua gone and Talia putting his name in the transfer portal, um, you know, they, I don't think that they have that home base specifically to Tuscaloosa. But that does not mean that the Alabama connection wasn't strong here. Talia arrives as a four star as a four star prospect coming out of high school. But I don't think anybody really gave him a great shot at beating out both Mac Jones and Bryce Young in Alabama. He shows up at Maryland and we've talked about uh, my guy, Josh Jackson, uh, who's still there. And I guess is going <laughs> to be holding down the quarterback position. I, I look at Talia not as a 2020 boost, but at least for Mike Loxley, a chance to give some sort of uh, stability to that quarterback position. If he can come in and hold it down for 2021 and 2022. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, Talia is, I think it's, yes, he was a four-star. And he could potentially be a really good quarterback in college. He could potentially be an NFL quarterback. I mean, that's what four-star means. But I don't, like, he's not a four-star. There's more name recognition here than obvious ability. Only, I just say that only because he's not, He's not incredibly athletic. He's not, he's not like a massive kid with a massive arm. He's just a really good football player. And it's just, is he the, is he like this, you know, caped up hero coming in to save the day at Maryland who just desperately needs stability and consistency at the quarterback position? Or is he just another guy that's going to go in there and disappoint Maryland fans? I I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Just stay healthy, and you're probably like a you're an upgrade on anybody they've had like the last five years if you don't get hurt. No, seriously, like Maryland's had 
three or more players take snaps at quarterback, I think, in four out of the last six seasons. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And that's not because they're blowing teams out either at all. <laughs> no, it's I mean, I was I was mildly surprised. I, I think it was, you know, when it when it, it's like you said, Chip, it was a logical destination for him because of the ties with Loxley. But I was still surprised because, as you mentioned, you know, this is a family that moved from Hawaii to Tuscaloosa to stay together when Tua went to Alabama. So with Tua going to Miami, I thought that after Talia announced his transfer that he was going to end up at a Florida school, maybe not Miami, but somebody in, you know, in Florida, somewhere in the area. So that was surprising to me for Maryland. But I do think that if you look at what's on Maryland roster, I don't think this is like a sure thing. Oh, wow. We've made a huge upgrade at quarterback. Although I think that because he's a former four-star recruit, because he's a transfer and because of his last name, it's probably going to raise expectations among the Maryland fan base for what he is, maybe to an unreasonable degree. But I think that you can make a very good case that he's an upgrade on anything they currently have on the roster there at quarterback. Over Josh Jackson? Yeah, maybe. Josh did not have a great season, Chip. I know he's your boy. You just but. you got to go let him cook, all right? You just got to give him – you just got to let him settle in there and let him cook. Nobody is going to give you enough good plays to remain on the field while also frustrating you enough to make you pull your hair out than Josh Jackson. Yeah, it's a roller coaster ride with Josh. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, without without any further ado, let's let's jump on into the coach rankings. I, I will read them because they are available right now at CBSSports.com. But we know that our listeners, whether you're in the car, uh, whether you're on the Peloton, whether you're just doing your own little workout in your home studio, doing some chores, doing dishes, going on a walk around the neighborhood, whatever it is, we know that you might not have the advantage of having the, the rankings pulled up. So we'll go through them, um, taking some stops at different points to discuss some of the coaches that either differ from our ballots or perhaps led to uh, some of the most discussion or some of the most debate. I'm going to begin uh, the bottom 15. Not going to read all 15 right now, but to look at the, the final rankings, the bottom 15 seems to really be an easy landing spot for coaches who maybe uh, still have a lot to prove. Bottom five, especially. Number 65, Sam Pittman for Arkansas. 64, Carl Durrell, Colorado. 63, Jeff Halfley. 62, Dave Aranda. 61, Mike Loxley. These are all coaches. Mike Loxley, uh, obviously in previous cycle, but Dave Aranda, Jeff Halfley, Carl Durrell, Sam Pittman, all hires made during this cycle. Carl Durrell has his previous experience from UCLA, but Sam Pittman's first-time head coach, Jeff Halfley's first-time head coach, Dave Aranda, first-time head coach. I always try to remind myself and I try to remind remind fans that this is a ranking of Power 5 head coaches. Even having uh, even as a coach, even being at the power five level is something that says you are successful. It does not mean off the bat that you are, uh, not a good coach. It just means that you still got something left to prove. Um, so any, like anything in the 60 to 65, I mean, I guess that we just mentioned Mike Loxley, my note beside Mike Loxley was three and 31. Right, yeah. Like he might, yeah. he might be three and thirty-one. So we'll see about that. Uh, any, any one of those jump out at y'all? Uh, I mean, for me, when it comes to doing these rankings overall, there, there are two really easy parts for me, and the easiest is the bottom because I typically 
stick to like if you haven't coached and you know if you haven't been a head coach before at any level okay i'm starting you at the bottom although i did make an exception this year because as you mentioned chip mike loxley's overall record as a head coach i feel like you know two and 26 at new mexico four and 14 at maryland six and 40 overall that's a pretty decent sample size well you have to keep in mind the new mexico program he was inheriting at the time it played a huge role in that still six and 40 Sorry, Mike, but I had you at 65. But everybody else in that bottom five is pretty much within range there on my own ballot. The I, the guy, there are two that I had a decent clip above where they were on this. I, I had Sam Pittman, who's a 65th on yours or on the, on the group. I had him a good seven spots higher than that. Uh, I just, I got a good, I got a good feeling. You like got a hunch. Yeah, yeah, I got a hunch about this one. I mean, I first of all, like he's really recruiting re- like right out of the gates. He's recruiting great and we knew he recruited well, but sometimes the guys that recruit well as assistants does it translate as head coaches? It appears to be translating as a head coach. He's going to recruit well. He's hired I I've always like when you look at some of these coaches, especially the ones that get hired as as head coaches without coordinator experience. Well, then it's a pretty important to know how they're going to be as hires of assistants. And I think Sam Pittman's hired great. And so if he's going to be able to hire really good guys and be able to then hand it over to them and empower them to be really good assistants, then I think you got a pretty good, pretty good like compilation of, of facts. So I like Sam Pittman. I, you know, I had him 58th. Um, I know that's not anything crazy, but I, I could see this really working out well for Arkansas. And then the other one I had a little bit higher was Jeff Halfley. I had up at fifty-six. I don't. Co- I'm not. I'm not going to take the cop out like Tom and just rank the guys. A that cop are, out. <laughs> just rank the guys that are new at the bottom. I'm going to take a couple chances here. Not that fifty-five is some out of this world risk, but I. I, I mean, Jeff Halfley's like. The reputation is pretty strong there. Like he, everyone seems to just love him. He's he's a good recruiter, good coach. Uh, I think I think if anyone can make that BC kind of a sexy place, I think Halfley maybe I'll pull it off. You know, you know who doesn't love Jeff Halfley? Who? Martin Germond. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> just abandoned him. <laughs> uh, number sixty, Derek Mason. I think that that is probably one of our more experienced at least at the current post most number of years at their current post down here near the bottom of the rankings 59 eli drinkwitz from missouri 58 manny diaz 57 jeff collins i mean those three seem really like linked together almost in terms of haven't seen something i mean eli drinkwitz has a successful year at app state where you know outside of the one georgia southern loss at home in a storm, Brian Kelly style, uh, they won all their other games, including beating two ACC teams. It was a good year, but a lot of that, at least judging by these rankings, 
and also my own ballot, seems to be applied to the uh, App State program in general. Sort of a lot to prove there in that Drinkwitz, Diaz, Jeff Collins line. It gets interesting at 56 because we mentioned the new head coaches sort of filtering towards the bottom of the rankings. We've got Jimmy Lake from Washington, who has not been a head coach, who of course takes over for Chris Peterson at 56. Mel Tucker checking in at 55. Now, I had Jimmy Lake down at 62, but it was uh, a little bit more for the, um, yeah, I recognize you as one of the best defensive coordinators, but we are ranking head coaches and we are ranking power five head coaches. So I, I think there's still a lot of prove it for Jimmy Lake on the, the big time head coaching side of this. Um, but you know, clearly the work that he's done at Washington as a recruiter, as a developer of defensive backs, and uh, as a defensive coordinator have given the rest of maybe y'all included here the uh, confidence that he deserves a little bit of bump ahead. So again, it's Mason at sixty, Drinkwitz fifty nine, Diaz fifty eight, Collins fifty seven, Lake Jimmy Lake at fifty six, and Mel Tucker from Michigan State at fifty five. Now, I had Lake at 61. So if you had him at 62 and I had him at 61 and he Barton finished had Barton 56. Had at, and Barton had him at 38. Yes. And there we go. That's why. I was going to say somebody had him high. Uh, yeah, that's my that's that's my B. No, uh, it's not your B. That is not a B. It's your ranking. No, I mean, wrong. No. It's, your, it's not a B. <laughs> no. So the – I – like I said, like I'm going to – I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna take my my shots on the guys that I believe in here, and I took a shot on Jimmy Lake. And here's the here's the reason that I sort of am a little sheepish on this, is because the the calculation on Jimmy Lake is we've he's he's a great evaluator, he's a great he's a really good coach. I mean, he is players love playing for him. He is wasn't like a no-brainer, next guy up. We've seen how those next guy ups have gone here of late with Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley. Um, he can be that same thing for Washington. He's a good recruiter. And and yet the reason I'm a little bit – I feel like I might have overshot it, at least for now, because all we – like we really should – judge these coaches by what we know even in the limited period of time that we've that they've been head coach and what we know on the Jimmy Lake tenure so far like it wasn't a huge splash to the finish in the 2020 cycle 2021 is a historically good year in the state of Washington and it seems like a lot of these guys are going to end up getting out of state so I know that's 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 a very recruiting heavy mentality of it but look all we know is like how how well they're going to execute in, in the few opportunities to execute anything. And I don't know that he's he's executing well enough so far for me to give that much of a leap of faith relative to y'all's. So maybe I should have him sort of in the early 50s, back into the 40s. 38 might be a little high, but I do, I do really just think that Jimmy Lake is really smart and a really sharp head coach candidate. Jimmy Lake is like if Manny Diaz had had a better uh, 2019 than if he had had a Miami team that wasn't losing to Georgia Tech and a Miami team that was uh, contending for the ACC Coastal Division title, then you know he could be up at 
40. You know, he, he could be up in that kind of space because he was a, a respected defensive coordinator. He, while he did go to Temple and then back to Miami, he was the, you know, promotion of sorts from uh, after Mark Rick decided to leave following the bowl game for good work that he did in building up that Miami defense. Jimmy Lake, just don't have a Manny Diaz season, and uh, and I think that you'll continue to see your star rise. All right, 54, we got Lovey Smith. Tom, is that appropriate? I think so. I mean, he was at he was at 60 last year, and he moved up six spots in our ranking, so obviously like the, the win over Wisconsin getting to a bowl game had a boost, but I think that rightfully so. Some people are still skeptical, and I think for Lovey's overall ranking, it'll be interesting to see if Illinois, depending on how Illinois does again this year, like if they continue to win, I think I would expect them to take a larger jump next year. Kevin Sumlin at 53, Jonathan Smith, go Beavs at 52, Matt Wells at 51 with Texas Tech, and Nick Rolovich with Washington State at 50. My note here is as much as I love the tarot card reading and Britney Spears impersonators and the attitude and the the jokes that he brought to us when we were grading our press conferences feels a little high for Rolo. He put he put pride back in that Hawaii program. That's awesome. I give him credit for that. But for him to be checking in ahead of Matt Wells, where Matt Wells was able to um, prove some things, obviously at a Utah State and have some proven success, feels feels a little high. Am I off on that? No, I don't think so. For me, the the biggest thing from this little this group of five, like I mentioned, Lovey Smith jumped six spots. This was this was a swing portion of the poll. Like Rolovich obviously wasn't in our rankings last year because he wasn't a power five coach, so we can't look at how he changed. But Matt Wells dropped eight spots in our rankings. And I agree with you, Chip. I I, I had Wells forty eighth and Rolovich forty ninth. So I had Wells just ahead of Rolovich on my ballot. But I think that Wells not having a great year at Texas Tech, kind of the recency bias hurt him a bit there, but I don't know if that's really fair. And then Jonathan Smith climbed 11 spots from 63 to 52, thanks to thanks to us mostly. Really, for, thanks for, to us for, driving yeah. the hype train. And someone took a tumble too. Someone was at 40th last year and he fell to 53. So I feel like that is a stock that is, you know, dropping quickly. But as far as my own ballot, nobody in this section was more than two spots off where I had them on my own ballot. So I've got no real notes there. Where did you get so the I I I must have I'm sort of carrying the banner then. Like I I I did the heavy lifting for getting Jonathan Smith up where he needs to be. You guys you guys I wore an Oregon you know, State t shirt on, wear, on HQ, buddy. Yeah, I did all wear, the work. You might wear your t shirts. You might, you know, <laughs> contribute to fanatics, but when it comes to actually getting the job done, it's only me that had him inside my top forty five. And Jonathan Smith at 43, you're welcome, sir, for uh, boosting up your, your ranking that uh, Tom and Chip are bringing down. I had him at 53. I had I had Rolovich down at 58. I had Jonathan Smith at 53. I'm, I'm not pulling him down. Well, I'm say just that. saying you're not really in – like you're, ten, you're nine, 10 spots lower than me. <laughs> and, Tom, where would you have him? I had uh, – Jonathan I had, Smith. I had Jonathan Smith at 50. Okay, so so Tom's seven spots lower than me. I mean, if you guys were were really worth the salt in for uh, as an Oregon State fan, you guys would have them. This is supposed to be a Beaver Pod, like a par, like a partial Beaver Pod, and you guys have them outside the top fifty. Excuse me, sir, but as a respected journalist, I am okay. able to put my personal biases aside and take a cold, hard look at the facts and assess on an even keel. 
Uh, Dave Doran, NC State, go pack, checking in at 49. Uh, I would imagine that's probably a move. And if we're talking about stock and direction, that's uh, he's got a big pressure-filled season ahead in 2020. Dino Babers at 48. Neil Brown, not as much heat or pressure on him at West Virginia as he's getting things started. Uh, he checks in at 47. Tom Allen at 46. If we're talking trajectory, it feels like that stock is probably pointed up. And then Will Muschamp in at 45. Yeah, this is this is another spot that's even been more volatile as far as compared to last year's rankings where we're seeing a lot of movers and shakers and most of them are falling. You know, uh, Dave Doran at 49 was at 32 last year, 17 spot drop. I had him at 43 myself. Dino Babbers at 48, a 21 spot drop. I th- one of the the second largest drop of any coach in the rankings. Uh, he was at 27 to 48. Neil Brown dropped 11 spots from 36 to 47. Will Muschamp dropped 10 spots from 35 to 45. And as you mentioned, Chip, Tom Allen, he's the one heading the right direction as he went from 61 to 46, the 15-spot climb. And I had him at 40th in my ranking, so I was even higher on him than most, I suppose. 39. Oh, so somebody really had who's, him low. Yeah, who's hating on 9-win Indiana? Barton comes in. I have him at 63. <laughs> No, I would never. In fact, I had him at 45 and felt a little guilty about it. Like, I kind of felt like I should have had him higher. I, I, you ain't going to catch me hating on Tom Allen. So somebody had to have him in the high 50s then. Yeah, that's that person. Needs, we need to seek that person out and teach Let's him. Let's get him in the hurry up hot seat right now. Shame on you. Um, any, Barton, any, any of these five you've, uh, you got your eye on? All right. So I, I, I like this. Uh, I, on my spreadsheet, I track where these guys like, so I've been doing this for three years with you guys and I've got the 20, I've got a 2018 column, a 2019 column, and then a 2020 column. And so I like seeing the, the, you know, the fluctuations, uh, for Dino, he went, uh, where's my Dino? He went, he was 50. His initial ranking was 51. His, Next year ranking was 28th, and then he's back up to 50. So a little hard to know what to make of, of Dino. And then this one just this is not this is not what you like to see your stock doing over the course of three years. Will Muschamp, 29th, 43, 56 for me this year. I feel like I'm a little lower on Muschamp than the rest of the rest of y'all. Where do y'all Muschamp? I had him at 47. So I had him. I mean, he finished 45th. I was pretty much. Right there in line where he finished. I had him at forty. What's I, the deal? I. What's I mean? Who do you have him above? Like I'd love to know. Like some because look, Will Muschamp. I. I put. There, I, it's I, almost like everyone just sort of suspects he's a good coach. Like he's he talks the talk, he walks the walk. He's a great defensive coordinator. His players like him. His fan like his. I think I don't know his fan base likes him, but like he's. He's just this ultimate football guy, but the in terms of like what the actual product on the field is, how do you how can you really like be that excited about him? Well, you're talking you about you have above you have above Tom Allen. You uh, I said Tom Allen thirty nine, Will Muschamp forty. Oh, okay. All right, so you have uh, Tom Allen thirty. I've got Lovey Smith at forty. All right, for for context, I have uh the three above Will Muschamp on my ballot are Herm Edwards, Jeff Brom, and Tom Allen. Real mixed bag. No real profile there. 
The three below Will Muschamp on my ballot are Lovey Smith, Jeremy Pruitt, and Chip Kelly. And when I was sorting them out, I was thinking, particularly, you know, kind of going conference by conference, take all the names, throw them, and, and sort of sort them into the big pile. Jeremy Pruitt has a fork in the road right now because Jeremy Pruitt could be Will Muschamp. And I would say that is not the successful track for Jeremy Pruitt. Jeremy Pruitt could be leveling up Tennessee in a big way uh, in on the recruiting trail in terms of the way that they are competitive against the best teams in the conference. Like that was Will Muschamp at Florida. Like he had a chance. Like there was um, the talent on that roster. There was an opportunity for him to really level up. Jeremy Pruitt could end up taking that next step that Will Muschamp didn't. Uh, or he could end up being Will Muschamp where I think that because he's a good defensive coach, because of his experience in the SEC, he can exist forever. Jeremy Pruitt could get fired by Tennessee, and then he would be hired by Alabama as an assistant, and then he would get hired again by another SEC school, let's say Missouri, uh, when they have a head coaching search. Like I just get the feeling that Pruitt is going to always, like Muschamp, be a decent option because of he, he knows the way a, a winning program should look. Um, I don't know. I, they've done good stuff in Columbia. Like he's, he really has helped that program level up uh, some of its infrastructure, some of its facilities. He sort of helped guide them into, you know, what could be a more successful future. And so the excitement is not there, I guess. You're a hundred percent right about that. But South Carolina has been solid. I mean, they haven't been awful. All right. So South Carolina goes, goes six and six this year what's he going to be ranked next year for you uh probably i don't know probably about the same i mean six like all right and you're and you're you're nate you're chip patterson university you're the athletic director chip patterson is the president can approve all your hires and you're telling me that if you your job comes open your head coach leaves for the nfl and you're going to hire Will Muschamp over Jeremy Pruitt next year? Probably not. If South Carolina goes six and six, and Tennessee goes eight and four, then they are flipped. And again, remember but this got- year, this year, this off season, right now, you would hire Will Muschamp over Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah. All right. I think that Chip Patterson University should have an excellent computer engineering department, seeing as how its initials will be CPU. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then Will Muschamp's a bad culture fit. <laughs> yeah, right. He's gonna be like, he's gonna. I don't want any of these nerds on my team. Uh, nope. There was a great. Um, there was it was Adam Zucker from CBS was doing a Zoom call with Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp talking about LSU days with Nick Saban, Valdosta State days when. Uh, Kirby said, Will did all the cooking. I drank all the beer and uh, like just sort of going back and forth and listening to the two of them discuss how Nick Saban was straight distrustful of the very first computer software that had film on it. He said, no, I want backups of everything. So while Will Muschamp was working the computer and saying, here, we've got everything right at our fingertips. Saban still made Kirby Smart carry beta tapes, like handfuls and handfuls of beta tapes from room to room to room, just in case the computer system failed. It was good stuff. Uh, All right. That brings us to 
44. Hey, and I will say on my Will Muschamp, my, the, the big caveat for me, and I've said it before on the pod, he, I think he's got an offensive coordinator this year. So he could, he could see his fortunes change dramatically in my coach rankings if an offensive coordinator brings him more success. But when you're a head coach and you can't hire an offensive coordinator, then that's on you. Coming up on the other side, we continue to march our way through the 2020 CBS Sports Coach Rankings. Find out where your favorite coach falls next. Welcome to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the Major League Baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you want NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies, if there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday, five days a week. Just subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. No BS, no soft tosses, no hot takes. You know, it's always business. It's nothing personal. There's nothing on earth quite like this. Oh, what a goal! The UEFA Champions League is back at its new home on CBS All Access. Sensational! Stream every match of the world's most prestigious tournament live. That's incredible! The UEFA Champions League group stage kicks off Tuesday on CBS All Access. There's nothing like it. All right, so Will Muschamp at 45 brings us to Jeff Brom from Purdue at 44, Les Miles from Kansas at 43, Chris Kleiman, Kansas State at 42, Clay Helton, Rose Bowl champion at 41, and Pat Narduzzi at 40. Um, The Clay Helton ranking to me feels, let's see. I might have been a little bit higher, but I'm a little bit of a Clay Helton softy. He climbed 10 spots. <laughs> he was at 51 last year. And I mean, I had him I had him at 45 on my list. So, I mean, I was four spots lower than where he finished. But I just, it's weird because when you think about how we view USC season last year and how, you know, like there was all the talk about Clay Helton being on the hot seat and possibly being fired, that he climbs 10 spots. And I don't know if that's because the narrative surrounding him has really changed or if it's more to speak of everything that, you know, like everything else going on around just kind of boosted him up spots just because guys fell below him. I had him at 50, so it wasn't me. Who loves Clay Helton? Uh, Barton? No, no, hold on. Clay Helton for me was... Why can't I find him? Yeah, he was 46 for me. Yeah, so, okay, so somebody was in the upper 30s on him at least. I, uh, yeah, I mean, there's probably, I don't know. You could probably make a case. If you're just a, if you're just Clay Helton's cousin and you just are, you know, you, you just see it with rose colored glasses, you could probably make a case for Clay Helton to be in the 30s. Um, cause he's had some success. And if you think they're about to have a breakout year this year, and if, if you're, you know, if you're going to fall into get, get the lovey eyes like Chip Patterson tends to do with USC and you, maybe you think this is the year and then Clay Helton uh, 
did put this team together. I, I could. I think it's defensible. I wouldn't necessarily agree with it, but I think it's defensible. Um, now, uh, well, Helton climbed 10 spots. The biggest faller in this group was Brom, who dropped 16 spots. He was 28th last year, dropped to 44. I had him 30th on mine. I'm, uh, I'm the Brom apologist. All right. Well, then I'm, I'm on the other side. I had him 49th. Wow. Wow. Just a hater. So Chip, here, where'd you have him? Adam 38. All right. All right. So I'll, I'll, I will, um, make my case and then you guys try to defend it. All right. So I had him 39th two years ago, 29th last year, 49th this year. So I was ready to, like, I, was, I like Brom. I was ready to keep him climbing, but I, I'm a little bit, and, and as in everything, the, you know, I, I look at personnel and a lot of this stuff, and I've, I've been talking about Purdue in our spring gleaning in this light as well. Like, there's, there's some things about Jeff Brown as a coach that are awesome. Like, he, I think he's a, he's a really good recruiter. I think he's a great offense. He's one of the best offensive coaches in college football. He's got to be. Um, but, again, I look up, and I – and I worry that that's sort of all he is, is just this really good offensive coach who can recruit a handful of in really good individual players. But I'm not, I've not yet seen this team like turn a corner roster wide, like team wide. And I'm not, you know, the defense is still hadn't found its legs. The, the, the offensive line continues to be a, a question mark. Even the run game is just not, it's not what you want it to be. So, I, I, I'm a, I'm sort of into like I'm not like the honeymoon's over like the 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 ascent has been capped and like let's 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 get beyond what I mean, what were they like five and seven like or six six and seven or something this past year uh four and eight five and seven I can't remember off the top of my head but see that's that's the thing like I I look at what happened to them last year and I don't put that on Jeff Brom they had like four quarterbacks that they needed to play because of injuries they lost Rondell Moore their best player early yep. in the season to an injury so it's like a lot of that stuff to me is not in his control now I agree with you on some parts particularly defense I think that when he first got there they had a they had a veteran defense as it was and they kind of supplemented it with JUCO players. And I think that they're kind of paying the price for that simply because they didn't have the youth behind it to come up. And that's kind of where they find themselves right now, where they have a young, inexperienced defense that maybe is not as talented as you would hope it would be at this point. So, yeah, there's definitely flaws. But I just think that he's being punished a little too much in our rankings this year because of things that weren't really his problem last year. If Jeff, that's fair. Yeah, if Jeff Brom had left Purdue for Louisville, and they'd gone seven and five last year. He'd be top twenty-five. Yeah, big, big, big single season uh, over adjust. I also give Jeff Brom. I know that it was like very, very limited, and uh, at the time they were kind of rolling. Still, I guess off the old like even Petrino and Willie Taggart. But I mean, his Western Kentucky teams were sick. I mean, they mm-hmm. were they were Cayusa sick, but they were they were good. Good football teams. So I, I know, but you you alluded to this too at the front. It's like, look, all of these coaches, if they came up from the group of five ranks, were baller group yeah, of five coaches. Just by correct, just by being here, they clearly did something right at that level. Yeah, so I don't give too much credit to that unless I have to, unless I have to just sort of guess, and then I will, um, because unless there's just not the body of work, and then I'll guess. But uh, 
otherwise, if they've got something to, to, to chew on from the Power 5 ranks, uh, that, that drives my opinion. Um, I mentioned Pat Narduzzi at 40, and this is where it's a very uh, difficult part. Tom mentioned the, the top of the rankings seem to be one of the easiest parts, the bottom of the rankings. And so Pat Narduzzi is number 40 on our consensus. I've got Pat Narduzzi at 28 on my ranking, but I also look at the names that are there between 28 and 40, and it's like we've hit that point in the scatter plot where even though it is 12 spots, it feels like the difference between them is much more splitting, is is splitting a lot more hairs. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, once you get to this middle section, it's really just a matter of personal preference and taste. Number 39, Greg Shiano. 38, Jeremy Pruitt. 37, Justin Fuente. 36, Chip Kelly. 35, Lane Kiffin. I mentioned earlier that Dino Babbers took the second largest tumble. The largest tumble in this year's rankings are, is Chip Kelly, who mm. we've, we've spent plenty of time talking about already. He was 14th last year. Dropped 22 spots to 36. I had him at 34th. Uh, my biggest beef with these coaches, where I'm very much different than the rest, is Greg Schiano, who I had at 22nd. Oh, bro, I had him at 13. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Got so w- somebody had him in like the 50s. Got Oh, a Tennessee fan, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> I got way out over my skis on Greg Schiano. I was like, are you kidding the program building that he's done, the way that yeah. that man can coach a defense, no, he's a top 15 for sure. Yeah. We, I mean, I know it's been a while, but I think some people are forgetting a little too eagerly what Shiano was able to do at Rutgers. But maybe, Chip, you and I were just Shiano men. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing that the, the phenomena that drives me crazy right now is every time Jeremy Pruitt gets a new commit at Tennessee – there's a there's a series of tweets. Barrett does it. Barrett Sully does it. And so I, I called him out at one point. But there's this series of tweets, and it's the people that defended the um, the uh, Shiano like, reaction. Shiano, yeah, the Shiano, du- the dumping of Shiano, uh, and 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 they say uh, all you all you stuck up media members that said Tennessee fans were uh, out of line for dumping Shiano. How you like us now? Like you still think that was a bad decision, and it drives me crazy because the two, like Tennessee having success under Jeremy Pruitt, is completely unrelated to Greg Schiano and what he might have done. Because Greg Schiano is currently has records of all places recruiting in the top twenty right now too. Like he might have been doing a pretty good job too. Maybe he wouldn't. Maybe he would have sucked. But you don't know. Like the two are, are totally unrelated, and so. It, it, it drives me crazy when that's thrown around. I had Greg Schiano at 40, at 40, 41. Um, but I get why you guys have him there. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a, you know, I want to see it, make sure he's still got that magic touch. So I'm not going to hand it to him yet, but he's, he, he's, he's done some pretty impressive things. You know, yeah, when, I cannot wait to see my mentions after this comes out with, with Pruitt one spot ahead of Shiano. I know. I was just going to say, you know how uh, everybody alleges that the NCAA tournament selection committee goes out of its way to put uh, teams against each other for potential second round matchups. That's, that's what I'm alleging here. 
I'm going to allege that the counting is off for narrative reasons <laughs> so that we could sell these rankings because Pruitt being one spot, one single spot ahead of Greg Schiano is too good. It's just I too will much. say, to, to guard against your conspiracy, the one person involved in this conspiracy that would have had the power to do that is never elevating a Tennessee person over anything. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, for, for me, one of my biggest... My one of my biggest, um, other than Jimmy Lake, that the second biggest disparity of mine in the list is Jeremy Pruitt. So I have Jeremy Pruitt up at twenty-one, I'm, and yeah, and that's that. Like, and that's ultimately about. And it's ironic because I was just defending how like it's ridiculous to say you know that somehow it was a bad hire to hire Greg Schiano based on Jeremy Pruitt's success because. Well, we just know more about the Jeremy Pruitt tenure. And I think in the Jeremy Pruitt tenure to this point, we've seen him recruit at a really high level, evaluate at a really high level, develop, have guys ready to play, and they've gotten better. And yes, there's been some really bad, ugly moments in the first, uh, what, six, uh, 15 games, 16 games of the tenure. But since then, like things are really turning around. And I think the Jeremy Pruitt, like that's a coach that I would, I would be excited to, to hire because I think that's a coach that's not out here looking to go seven and five. He's not looking to go eight and four. He's not looking to, 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 you know, flash in the points per game column. He's looking to like play and compete at the, for national titles, for conference championships. And so I think that the program and the roster is being built the right way to accomplish that. Um, and I, I, I just sort of like the direction they're going. Yeah, I have him 27th on mine, so we're not that far off. 41? Yeah. Jeremy That's fine. Jeremy Pruitt, 42. Uh, all right, 35, Lane Kiffin. 34, Scott Frost. 33, Justin Wilcox. 32, Dave Clawson. And 31, Scott Satterfield. Um, this is, like, I, I mentioned this this little run that we've got right here. This is where I'm showing all the love and pointing fingers at the haters, and it's why I'm going to end up a hater on the other side of this. I mentioned I've got Greg Schiano at 13. I've got Dave Clawson at 18. Uh, he's at 32. I've got Justin Wilcox at 20. He's at 33. And then I mentioned I've got Pat Narduzzi at 28. So these are all guys that I think everybody else is way too low on. I I mean, I'm, I had, let's see, I had Clawson at 35. I had Wilcox at 26, so I'm I'm more in line with you on Wilcox. I th- I would bet that Barton's not too far off of you on Clawson, though. I don't know. Clawson, look, what Clawson is, like, is consistent. He is what he is. We've we've we have marveled at the consistency of Clawson, getting one win better every year, and then get it, and then just taking a program over that is just like one tier above the previous program. It's phenomenal. Like the consistency is phenomenal. And his consistency on my sheet is very Dave Clawson. One was, spot up. He was, no, no, he's not even rising. Just he's what he is. He was 33 two years ago. He was 31 last year. He's 33 again this year. That's, that's where I got Dave Clawson. That's really good. That's hiring a lot of really good coaches, but, uh, I actually, when I released my top 25 for 24-7 sports a couple weeks ago, there were some Clausen stands out there that 
or surprised that uh, we're aghast that I didn't have him in my top 25. <laughs> Wake for, Forest's number one booster, Barton, has given up on Dave Clausen. Well, I mean, for a school that's so small, like general, just enrollment, like the numbers of Wake Forest fans uh, does not equal the noise that those Wake Forest fans can make online when it comes to their favorite coaches. Yeah. Or, Wilcox or, is the big climber in this group. He jumped 17 spots from 50 to 33. Did you so, did you list that? Uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Did you list Satterfield in this group? Yeah, thirty one. Yeah, yeah. So this that was this is my other big one. I have I have Satterfield up at seventeen for me. I love Satterfield. Believe I'm a believer in Satterfield. Oh, I'm not that far off. I'm at twenty three. I had him at thirty six. So you've still got some power five. Prove it on the Satterfield ruling. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's. I also it's it's more along the lines of as we talked about even before Louisville hired him. I didn't think the Louisville team he inherited was bad. I just thought that the Louisville team he inherited had horrible coaches. So by simply putting in a competent coach, I knew that that team was going to take a step forward, which is exactly what it did. So I like Satterfield. I think he was a great hire. I love what he did at Appalachian State. It's just I'm not ready to elevate him to that level just yet based off of the one season at Louisville. I'd like to see, you know, maintained and improved herm edwards checks in at number 30 mike norvell at 29 tom herman at 28 mike leach at 27 and david cutcliffe at 26 herm edwards has got to be a big mover right huge yeah of all the coaches in this episode outside the top 25 the biggest climb 24 spots from 54 last year to 30 this year and i had him at 41 so which one of y'all had him in the top 10 37 i was about to say i love herm like i'm i'm a big fan of uh his bold his bold moves taking over arizona state the way he's trying to do things i i think it's very impressive i think it's one of the most interesting stories to follow in college football but when i was splitting hairs between him and some of these other coaches I, there was just too whether it was coordinator experience, group of five experience. I just I felt like there was just too much on the uh, resume in college football for me to move him ahead of some of these others. I had him, um, yeah, I had him like 27, <laughs> 26, like that. 28, I had him 28. You like uh, the still, that means there was somebody who had it much higher than that because if I had him at 41 and you had him at 37, Chip? Yeah, I had him at 37. And you've got him at 28, and he finished 30th. That means that somebody had to have him in the top 20, at least. Man, somebody likes Herm better than us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Hello. That's a, that's a love. That's a lover of Herm somewhere. I one of mine that I thought was interesting that I'm starting to sour on a little bit is is old David Cutcliffe. Mm. I'm not. I'm not sure that. I'm not sure that like it's that that David Cutcliffe is like still like if you're talking from an AD standpoint like and you're going to hire David Cutcliffe are you still going to hire him over what do we have him ranked 26 you going to hire hire him over like 40 people No I don't think I would either but that's not what I base my rankings on though exclusively that's part of my thinking but it's not what I base all of it on I had him at 29th on mine I had him at 27. 
Yeah, I mean, you guys aren't like, yeah, y'all are y'all are reasonable with them. But I think David Cutcliffe, like, he's a good coach. He's a good coach. He's sort of in the Clausen boat, like, good coach. But there's a, there's going to be a ceiling. There's going to be a ceiling on it. And maybe there's just a ceiling on Duke, and so I'm not being fair, but I, I think there's going to be a ceiling on it. There is – you are right to look at, what, maybe the last, like, two years or so and wonder if things – like, what whatever the magic recipe was – to get everything going at Duke. And like, that's when I think that I'm also doing that thing where I'm giving Cutcliffe the same kind of credit that I gave Greg Schiano at Rutgers, where you just look at the years before thing they came in and they were able to get things rolling. And you realize that, you know, 50% of the wins across a 30 year span happened in these eight years. You know, there, there's all these different ways that you can twist the win totals and realize that you know, they are responsible for some very real and deep program building. But in the last couple of years, it is worth wondering whether the same recipe is working and whether they need to mix it up. And David Cutcliffe's decision, as we talked about during the spring gleaning episodes, his decision to say, all right, now I'm going to take over the play calling duties again, whatever that means. But it seemed like it was an acknowledgement from David Cutcliffe to say, I recognize on the offensive side of the ball, we have not been good enough to win and meet our expectations. So I am trying to get myself involved in that instead of spending time with special teams, instead of doing my overseer thing, because I recognize that's where we're falling short. He became famous as a quarterback coach and as an offensive coordinator. So now I think that it is a swing year for David Cutcliffe in, in my coach rankings, because if he's able to put those offensive fixes in, then it absolutely justifies his position in my rankings. But if we don't see any improvement, then I do think it it cuts away at some of the shine from his profile. You what know, do we think? Oh, go ahead. You, you have it. I was just going to ask what we think of the. I think you know the, there's a couple big names in here too, just outside the top twenty-five, outside of Cutcliffe, because we've got Leach at twenty-seven, who dropped seven spots from twenty to twenty-seven, and then we've got Tom Herman at twenty-eight, who dropped eleven spots from seventeen to twenty-eight. Any thoughts on those? Uh, Tom Herman's an interesting one because like, I think he was 27 with me and he was 10 a year before. And it wasn't even that bad of a year last year, but it was obviously not up to standard. Um, I think it's just that he's being held to the, to the, the expectations of Texas. And I don't know. I wonder if the expectations of Texas are, are even realistic anymore. See, for me, I had Herman at 25th, and my, my thing with Herman is I the consistency is just never there. I, you never see it, like, either at Houston or now at Texas in the years there. It's like I always feel like, you know, we've talked about the, the betting principles. Tom Herman is an underdog, but I just, like, in the big games against big teams, I feel like his teams are always ready to play those games. It's just they also fall asleep at times against teams that they should beat, and for me... I feel like if that's a symptom with every single one of your teams, that's got to be coming from the top down. So that's my concern with Herman. And I was actually somewhat surprised with Leach simply because, I mean, I feel like the based on the way we've talked about him on this podcast, I think we would be kind of penciled as, you know, 
maybe not leech lovers. I don't know if you'd call us haters, but kind of tepid on him compared to the most. But I had him at 20th on mine. So to see him finish 27th overall, I was surprised. Uh, sorry about that. Where'd you have him? Mike Leach, 48. Oh, so you definitely are a Mike Leach hater. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Not just, how about this? Just not, uh, not one over. Not that's surprising that you you're like that you're that low on leech. I've got him like as I was moving him around, I I kind of had him linked to less miles. We're like, yeah, like at times I've considered you what among the best coaches in college football. Like we've been doing these coach rankings long enough that I remember when we were trying to like kick and scream over whether less miles is a top ten coach. Because you were looking at LSU, like they hadn't won another national championship since 2007, but 2011 wasn't that long ago. But I, I mean, with Mike Leach, I think that what he's able to, I mean, it, he is what he is. I don't, I don't know if there's a whole lot of room for growth with Mike Leach. And I think that if I'm hiring at CPU, then I've got him ahead of prove it coaches like a Jeff Collins or a Dino Babers or a Jonathan Smith or a Manny Diaz. He's ahead of all those, but I've got him behind uh, Jeremy Pruitt and a Will Muschamp. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Oh man. I see. I wouldn't see. Maybe I should have said like, Jeremy Pruitt and Tom Allen. Yeah. Like Will Muschamp is, is almost like, like he's a defensive coach to Mike Leach's offensive coach, but, but, Mike Leach is showing that, like, not only does he go to to places that are traditionally successful programs and, and builds them into successful programs, but there's a consistent level of success with Mike Leach that we haven't seen with Will Muschamp. You don't think that Florida went in like eleven games? Was, uh... but, that was but he was still, but that was still coming off of the the run that Florida, like the run of talent that Florida had like that. He also t- like took a Florida team that was perennial national title contender to four and eight. Drove it off the road. <laughs> no, that was Bobby Petrino. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Mike Leach, a little bit of i I'm, I'm the one that's low on Mike Leach. How about Mike Norvell starting at 29th, even though he's never been a power five coach? You don't, we don't typically see that in these rankings. So I think that this is a different case simply because he's had so much success at Memphis that we're obviously he's getting a benefit of the doubt that a lot of the other newer hires aren't going to get. Boy, somebody had him high too. Where'd you guys have Mike Norvell? I had him at 33. Yeah, 31. Yeah, I had him at 37. And I consider myself a Mike Lee or Mike Norvell believer, but I wasn't, I wasn't ready to make that jump. So someone's got him. In the top, top 20 years. at least, yeah. yeah. I'm a little bit too low on Leach. I'll, I'll get hey, Barton. You were able to let your guard down and be a little sheepish earlier. I'll 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 step up to that and say, hey, and look, getting it done in the SEC West would be something that would greatly change my opinion. But if we're placing bets, my expectation is that. Mike Leach will be back on the job market within five years. Now, will it be because of performance (laughs) or because of something he says? No, his Twitter account counts in these uh, rankings for me. (laughs) The the liability that you bring to the public image of CPU is absolutely of concern. (laughs) The the one, one that I didn't talk, we didn't touch on 
in the back end a little bit that I forgot to to bring up, which just t- totally pained me to have to rank him where I did. But I'm I'm sort of in line with with the group here. But Scott Frost mm-hmm. to be like it just man that was just a hard that was a hard pill to swallow. I, I came out of the gates on Scott Frost two years ago with him at nine s- no six <laughs> <laughs> six overall fresh off of his national championship at UCF <laughs> and then what did he go four and eight that first year something like that yeah yeah something like that and so but that four, four a, and eight season four and two back half of the season remember that's, right. that's the only that's part right. that existed that's that was exactly. all the hype that's what the hype train was yeah and but I I gave him I gave him the appropriate ding and dropped him to seven following that season and so this year to have to go all the way down to 36 from for my beloved Scott Frost was that was a that was a difficult a difficult uh, look in the mirror for that one but I still think hey like him and him and Chip Kelly were the two that like all right you're two they're gonna make that big jump you're two they're gonna make that big jump neither of them made that big jump so maybe you know I'm just I'm giving up on them a year too early and and this is the year that you get the payoff. So I'm selling the stock. Uh, I, I hope I didn't make the mistake. Well, maybe I hope I didn't make the mistake. Let's go, Chip Kelly and Scott. I had him at 39th on my ballot. Scott Frost checks in on my ballot at 34. Yeah. And I, I kind of I was thinking about you know again like positionally you know where where is Scott Frost compared to his peers? I think he is missing the kind of. Uh, power five success just in terms of wins to even creep up into the like again I'm, I'm maybe a little too high on him but like that that was a decision maker for me when I compared him to a Pat Narduzzi or a Paul Christ um, that that lack of power five success was was probably the difference maker and I do think that Frost still has a kind of profile where if like Nebraska has a good season in 2020, he's probably jumping back into the top 20 at this time next year. Yeah, skyrocket. Mm-hmm. Next episode, we're going to do it. Where's Ryan Day? Where is Jimbo Fisher? What do you do with Ed Odron after leading perhaps one of the greatest college football seasons of all time? Uh, where does Lincoln Riley fall in that? Where do we feel about Jim Harbaugh? The real... The, the real fights are coming up in the next episode, so make sure that you subscribe to find out where Mario Cristobal is going to be, whether Gary Patterson is turning TCU into Kansas State, or whether things have changed with Zach Evans back on board. All of these things we have to decide. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fennell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Sir. Stage kicks off Tuesday on CBS All Access. There's nothing like it.